Welcome in the Great Khan's tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. In the Great Khan's Tent now has a Patreon. You can find a link on our website, in the Great Khan's Tent, all lowercase, dot podbean, dot com. Once again, in the great constant.podbean.com, all lowercase, on our Twitter account, or you can always email us to send you a link to it. Your support, although not necessary, would be much appreciated to show that you support this podcast. Thank you. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening. And now on with the show. In this episode, we will continue with the story of the fisherman and the jinn in nights five, six, seven, and the beginning of night eight. Once again, we encounter evidence of a story that is not told, this time said by the jinn to the fishermen, that of Ummehme and Atihe, which once again my research has failed to provide evidence that it exists. We then are introduced to the story of the young king of the Black Islands, where the focus, although moving directly away from the fisherman and the jinn, the fisherman is still present in the background, ensuring that this story is neatly encapsulated. Auzubillah minashaitan nirajim, bismillahirrahman nirrahim. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the beneficent king, the creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master Muhammad, and his family. Blessings and peace, enduring and constant unto the day of judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Sherzad continued. The executioner then advanced and bandaged his eyes, and having drawn his sword, said, Give me permission. Upon this the sage wept, and again said, Spare me, and so may Allah spare thee, and destroy me not, lest Allah destroy thee. Wouldest thou return me the recompense of the crocodile? What, said the king, is the story of the crocodile? The sage answered, I cannot relate it while in this condition, but I conjure thee by Allah to spare me, and so may he spare thee. And he wept bitterly. 
Then one of the chief officers of the Sultan arose and said, O Sultan, give up to me the blood of this sage, for we have not seen him commit any offense against thee, nor have we seen him do aught but cure thee of thy disease, which varied the other physicians and sages. The Sultan answered, Ye know not the reason wherefore I would kill the sage. It is this, that if I suffered him to live, I should myself inevitably perish. For he who cured me of the disease under which I suffered by a thing that I held in my hand, may kill me by a thing that I may smell. And I fear that he would do so, and would receive an appointment on account of it seeing that it is probable he is a spy who hath come hither to kill me. I must therefore kill him, and I shall feel myself safe. When Duban was certain that the Sultan was going to have him killed, he wept in sorrow for the good that he had done to the undeserving. As the poet has said, you can be sure that Maimuna has no sense, though this is what her father has. Whoever walks on dry or slippery ground and takes no thought must fall. He also recited, I gave my good advice and yet had no success, while they succeeded but through treachery. What I advised humiliated me. If I live, never shall I give advice again. If not, after my death, let all advisers be accursed. The sage then said again, Spare me. And so may Allah spare thee, and destroy me not, lest Allah destroy thee. But he now felt certain, O jinn, that the Sultan would put him to death, and that there was no escape for him. So he said, O Sultan, if my death is indispensable, grant me some respite, that I may return to my house, and acquit myself of my duties and give directions to my family and neighbors to bury me, and dispose of my medical books. And among my books is one of most especial value, which I offer as a present to thee, that thou mayest treasure it in thy library. And what, said the Sultan, is this book? He answered, It contains things not to be enumerated, and the smallest of the secret virtues that it possesses is this that when thou hast cut my head, if thou open this book, and count three leaves, and then read three lines on the page to the left, the head will speak to thee, and answer whatever thou shalt ask. At this the Sultan was excessively astonished, and shook with delight, and said to him, O sage, when I have cut off thy head, will it speak? He answered, Yes, O Sultan, and this is a wondrous thing. The Sultan then sent him in the custody of guards, and the sage descended to his house, and settled all his affairs on that day, and on the following day he went up to the court, and the emirs, and the viziers, and chamberlains, and deputies, and all great officers of the state, went hither also, and the court resembled a flower garden. And when the sage had entered, he presented himself before the sultan, bearing an old book and a small pot containing a powder. And he sat down and said, Bring me a tray. 
So they brought him one, and he poured out the powder into it and spread it. He then said, O Sultan, take this book and do nothing with it until thou hast cut off my head. And when thou hast done it so, place it upon this tray and order someone to press it down upon the powder. The blood will be stanched. Then opened the book. As soon as the sage said this, the Sultan gave orders to strike off his head, and it was done. The Sultan then opened the book and found that its leaves were stuck together. So he put his finger to his mouth and moistened it with his spittle, and opened the first leaf, and then the second, and the third. But the leaves were not opened without difficulty. He opened six leaves and looked at them but found upon them no writing. So he said, O sage, there is nothing written in it. The head of the sage answered, Turn over more leaves. The sultan did so, and in a little while the poison penetrated into his system, for the book was poisoned, and the sultan fell back and cried out, The poison hath penetrated into me, and upon this the head of the sage Duban repeated these verses. They made use of their power and used it tyrannically, and soon it became as though it never had existed. Had they acted equitably, they had experienced equity, but they oppressed, wherefore fortune oppressed them with calamities and trials. Then did the case itself announce to them, This is the reward of your conduct, and fortune is blameless. And when the head of the sage Duban had uttered these words, the sultan immediately fell down dead. Now, O Jin, continued the fisherman, know that if King Yunan had spared the sage Duban, Allah had spared him, but he refused and desired his destruction. Therefore Allah destroyed him. And thou, O Jin, if thou had spared me, Allah had spared thee. Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Night 6 When it was the sixth night, her sister Dunyazad told her to finish the story, and Shehrazad said, If Fashan Shah permits me, Go on, he replied, and she continued, And I had spared thee, but thou desirest my death. Therefore I will put thee to death in prison in this bottle, and will throw thee here into the sea. The marid upon this cried out and said, I conjure thee by Allah, O fisherman, that thou do it not. Spare me in generosity, and be not angry with me for what I did. But if I had done evil, do thou good, according to the proverb, O thou benefactor of him who hath done evil, the action he hath done is sufficient for him. Do not therefore as Umameh did to Atike. And what, said the fisherman, was their case? The jinn answered, This is not a time for telling stories when I am in this prison, but when thou liberate me, I will relate to thee their case. The fisherman said, Thou must be thrown into the sea, and there shall be no way of escape for thee from it. For I endeavoured to propitiate thee, 
and humbled myself before thee, yet thou wouldest nothing but my destruction, though I had committed no offense to deserve it, and had done no evil to thee whatsoever, but only good delivering thee from thy confinement. And when thou didst thus unto me, I perceived that thou wast radically corrupt, and I would have thee know that my motive for throwing thee into this sea is that I may acquaint with thy story every one that shall take thee out and caution him against thee, that he may cast thee in again. And shall thou remain in this sea to the end of time and experience varieties of torment? The jinn then said, Liberate me, for this is an opportunity for thee to display humanity, and I vow to thee that I will never do thee harm. But on the contrary, I will do thee a service that shall enrich thee forever. Upon this the fisherman accepted his covenant, that he would not hurt him, but that he would do him good. And when he had bound him by oaths and vows, and made him swear by the most great name of Allah, he opened to him, and the smoke ascended until it had all come forth, and then collected together, and became, as before, a jinn of hideous form. The jinn then kicked the bottle into the sea. When the fisherman saw him do this, he made sure of destruction and said, This is no sign of good. But afterwards he fortified his heart and said, O jinn, Allah, whose name be exalted, hath said, Perform the covenant, for the covenant shall be inquired into. And thou had covenanted with me, and sworn that thou wilt not act treacherously towards me. Therefore, if thou so act, Allah will compensate thee, for he is jealous, he respiteth, but suffer not to escape. And remember that I said to thee, as said the sage Duban to King Yunan, Spare me, so may Allah spare thee. The jinn laughed, and walking on before him, said, O fisherman, follow me. The fisherman did so, not believing in his escape, until they had quitted the neighborhood of the city, and ascended a mountain and descended into a wide desert track, in the midst of which was a lake of water. Here the jinn stopped, and ordered the fisherman to cast his net and take some fish. And the fisherman, looking into the lake, saw it full of different colors, white and red and blue and yellow, at which he was astonished, and he cast his net and drew it in, and found in it four fish, each fish of a different color from the others, at the sight of which he rejoiced. The jinn then said to him, Take them to the Sultan, and present them to him, and he will give thee what will enrich thee, and for the sake of Allah accept my excuse, for at present I know no other way of rewarding thee, having been in the sea a thousand and eight hundred years and not seen the surface of the earth until now. But take not fish from the lake more than once each day. And now I commend thee to the care of Allah. Having thus said, he struck the earth with his feet, and it clove asunder and swallowed him. The fisherman then went back to the city, wondering at all that had befallen him with the jinn, and carried the fish to his house. And he took an earthen bowl, and having filled it with water, put the fish into it, and they struggled in the water, 
And when he had done this, he placed a bowl upon his head and repaired to the sultan's palace as the jinn had commanded him. And going up into the sultan, presented to him the fish. And the sultan was excessively astonished at them, for he had never seen any like them in the course of his life. And he said, Give these fish to the slave cook maid. This maid had been sent as a present to him by the king of the Greeks three days before, and he had not yet tried her skill. The vizier therefore ordered her to fry the fish, and said to her, O maid, the sultan saith unto thee, I have not reserved my tear but for the time of my difficulty. Today then gratify us by a specimen of thy excellent cookery, for a person had brought these fish as a present to the sultan. After having thus charged her, the vizier returned, and the sultan ordered him to give the fishermen four hundred pieces of dinar. So the vizier gave them to him, and he took them in his lap, and returned to his home and his wife, joyful and happy, and brought what was needed for his family. Such were the events that befell the fishermen. Now we must relate what happened to the maid. She took the fish and cleaned them and arranged them in the frying pan and left them until one side was cooked. When she turned them upon the other side and lo, the wall of the kitchen clove asunder and there came forth from it a damsel of tall stature, smooth-cheeked, of perfect form, with eyes adorned with kajal, beautiful in countenance, and with heavy swelling hips, wearing a kufia interwoven with blue silk, with ring in her ears, and bracelets on her wrists, and rings set with precious jewels on her fingers, and in her hand was a rod of Indian cane. And she dipped the end of the rod in the frying pan, and said, O fish, are ye remaining faithful to your covenant? At the sight of this, the cookmaid fainted. The damsel then repeated the same words a second and a third time, after which the fish raised their heads from the frying pan and answered, Yes, yes. They then repeated the following verse, If thou return, we return, and if thou come, we come, and if thou forsake, we verily do the same. And upon this the damsel overturned the frying pan and departed the way she had entered, and the wall of the kitchen closed up again. The cookmaid then arose and beheld the four fish burnt like charcoal, and she exclaimed, In his first encounter his staff broke, and as she sat reapproaching herself, she beheld the vizier standing at her head and said to her, Bring the fish to the sultan, and she wept and informed him of what had happened. The vizier was astonished at her words, and exclaimed, This is indeed a wonderful event. And he sent for the fisherman, and when he was brought, he said to him, O fisherman, thou must bring to us four fish like those which thou broughtest before. The fisherman accordingly went forth to the lake and through his net, and when he had drawn it in, he found in it four fish as before, and he took them to the vizier, who went with them to the maid, and said to her, 
rise and fry them in my presence, that I may witness this occurrence. The maid, therefore, prepared the fish and put them in the frying pan, and they had remained but a little while when the wall clove asunder, and the damsel appeared, clad as before, and holding the rod, and she dipped the end of the rod in the frying pan, and said, O fish, O fish, are ye remaining faithful to your old covenant? Upon which they raised their head, and answered as before. Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Night 7 Then, when it was the seventh night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shan Shah, that when the fish spoke, the damsel overturned the pan with the rod and returned by the way she had entered, and the wall closed up again. The vizier then said, This is an event which cannot be concealed from the sultan. So he went to him and informed him of what had happened in his presence. And the sultan said, I must see this with my own eyes. He sent, therefore, to the fisherman and commanded him to bring forth fish like the former, granting him a delay of three days. And the fisherman repaired to the lake and brought the fish threats to the sultan, who ordered again that four hundred pieces of gold should be given to him, and then, turning to the vizier, said to him, Cook the fish thyself here before me, the vizier answered, I hear and I obey. He brought the frying pan, and after he had cleaned the fish, threw them into it, and as soon as he had turned them, the wall clove asunder, and there came forth from it a black slave, in size like a bull, or like one from the tribe of Odd, having in his hand a branch of a green tree, and said, with a clear but terrifying voice, O fish, O fish, are ye remaining faithful to your old covenant? Upon which they raised their heads and answered as before, Yes, yes, if thou return, we return, and if thou come, we come, and if thou forsake, we warily do the same. The black slave then approached the frying pan and overturned it with the branch, and the fish became like charcoal, and he went away as he had come. When he had thus disappeared from before their eyes, the sultan said, This is an event respecting which it is impossible to keep silence, and there must undoubtedly be some strange circumstance connected with these fish. He then ordered that the fisherman should be brought before him, and when he had come, he said to him, Whence came these fish? The fisherman answered, From a lake between four mountains behind this mountain, which is without thy city. The sultan said to him, How many days' journey distant? He answered, O our lord the sultan, our journey of half an hour. And the sultan was astonished, and ordered his troops to go out immediately with him and the fishermen, who began to curse the jinn. They proceeded until they had ascended the mountain, and descended into a wide desert track, which they had never before seen in their whole lives. And the sultan and all the troops wondered at the sight of this desert, 
which was between four mountains, and at the fish, which were of four colors, red and white and yellow and blue. The Sultan paused in astonishment and said to the troops and to the other attendants who were with him, Hath any one of you before seen this lake in this place? They all answered, No. Then said the Sultan, By Allah, I will not enter my city, nor will I sit on my throne, till I know the true story of this lake and of this fish. And upon this he ordered his people to encamp around these mountains, and they did so. He then called for the vizier, who was a well-informed, sensible, prudent, and learned man. And when he had presented himself before him, he said to him, I desire to do a thing which I will acquaint thee, and it is this. I have resolved to depart alone this night, to seek for information respecting this lake and its fish. Therefore, sit thou at the door of my pavilion, and say to the emirs and viziers and chamberlains, The sultan is sick, and hath commanded me not to allow any person to go in unto him, and acquaint no one with my intention. The vizier was unable to oppose his design, so the sultan disguised himself, and slung on his sword, and withdrew himself from the midst of his troops. He journeyed the whole of the night until morning, and proceeded until the heat became oppressive to him. He then paused to rest, after which he again proceeded the remaining of the day and the second night, until the morning, when there appeared before him in the distance something black, at the sight of which he rejoiced and said, Perhaps I shall there find some person who will inform me of the history of the lake and its fish. And when he approached this black object, he found it to be a palace built of black stones, and overlaid with iron, and one of the leaves of its door was open, and the other shut. The sultan was glad, and he stood at the door, and knocked gently, but heard no answer. He knocked a second, and a third time, and again heard no answer. Then he knocked a fourth time, and with violence, but no one answered. So he said, It is doubtless empty, and he took courage, and entered, from the door into the passage and cried out, saying, O inhabitants of the palace, I am a stranger and a traveler. Have ye any provisions? And he repeated these words a second and a third time, but heard no answer. And upon this he fortified his heart and emboldened himself and proceeded from the passage into the midst of the palace, but he found no one there and only saw that it was furnished, and that there was in the center of it a fountain with four lions of red gold, which poured forth the water from their mouths like pearls and jewels. Around this were birds, and over top of the palace was extended a net, which prevented their flying out. At the sight of these objects he was astonished, and he was grieved that he saw no person there whom he could ask for information respecting the lake and the fish and the mountains and the palace. He then sat down between the doors, reflecting upon these things, and as he thus sat, 
he heard a voice of lamentation from a sorrowful heart, chanting these words, O fortune, thou pitiest me not, nor releasedest me. See, my heart is strained between affliction and peril. Will not you, O my wife, have compassion on the mighty, whom love hath abased, and the wealthy who is reduced to indigence? We were jealous even of the zephyr which passed over you, but when the divine decree is issued, the eye becometh blind. What resource hath the archer when, in the hour of conflict, he desireth to discharge the arrow, but findeth his bowstring broken? And when troubles are multiplied upon the simple-minded, where shall he find refuge from fate and from destiny? The Sultan also heard these verses. I try to hide what I suffer at your hands, but it is clear with my eyes exchanging sleep for sleeplessness. Time you neither spare me nor cease your work, and it is between hardship and danger that my heart lies. Have you no mercy on one whom love law has abased, or on the wealthy who is now made poor? I was jealous of the breeze as it blows over you, but when fate pounces, then men's eyes are blind. What can the archer do if, as he meets the foe, his bowstring snaps just when he wants to shoot? When cares amass to assault a man, where can he flee from destiny and fate? When the Sultan heard this lamentation, he sprang upon his feet, and seeking the direction whence it proceeded, found a curtain suspended before the door of a chamber, and he raised it, and beheld behind it a young man sitting on a couch, raised to the height of a cubit from the door. He was a handsome youth, well-shaped, and of eloquent speech, with a shining forehead and rosy cheek, marked with a mole resembling ambergris. He fitted the poet's description. There is many a slender one whose dark hair and bright forehead have made mankind to walk in dark and light. Do not find fault with the mole upon his cheek. I would sell my brother in exchange for such a speck. The Sultan was rejoiced at seeing him, and saluted him, and the young man who remained sitting, and was clad with a vest of silk, embroidered with gold, but who exhibited traces of grief, returned his salutation, and said to him, O oh, my master, excuse my not rising. O oh, youth, said the sultan, inform me respecting the lake and its fish of various colors, and respecting the palace, and the reason of thy being alone in it, and of thy lamentation. When the young man heard these words, tears trickled down his cheeks, and he wept bitterly. He then recited, Say to the one whom time grants sleep, how often misfortunes subside only to rise up. While you may sleep, God's eye remains sleepless. 
for whom is time unclouded, and for whom do worldly things endure. He sighed deeply and continued to recite, Entrust your affairs to the Lord of all mankind. Abandon care and leave aside anxious thoughts. Do not ask how what happened has occurred, for all things come about through the decree of fate. And the Sultan was astonished and said to him, What causes thee to weep, O youth? He answered, How can I refrain from weeping when this is my state? And so saying, he stretched forth his hand and lifted up the skirts of his clothing, and lo, half of him from his waist to the soles of his feet were stone, and from his waist to the hair of his head he was like other men. He then said, Know, O Sultan, that the story of the fish is extraordinary. It would be a lesson to him who would be admonished. And he related as follows. The Story of the Young King of the Black Islands My father was Sultan of the city which was here situate. His name was Mahmud and he was lord of the black islands and of the four mountains after a reign of seventy years he died and i succeeded to his throne whereupon i took as my wife the daughter of my uncle and she loved me excessively so that when i absented myself from her she would neither eat nor drink until she saw me again she remained under my protection five years after this she went one day to the bath and i had commanded the cook to prepare supper and i entered the palace and slept in my usual place i had ordered two maids to fan me and one of them sat at my head and other at my feet but i was restless because my wife was not with me and i could not sleep my eyes were closed but my spirit was awake and i heard the maid at my head say to her at my feet o masuda verily our lord is unfortunate in his youth and what a pity it is that it should be passed with our depraved wicked mistress perdition to unfaithful wives replied the other but added she such a person as our lord so endowed by nature is not suited to this profligate woman who passes every night absent from his bed verily rejoined she at my head our lord is careless in not making any inquiries respecting her woe to thee said the other hath our lord any knowledge of her conduct or doth she leave him to his choice nay on the contrary she contriveth to defraud him by means of the cup of wine which he drinketh every night before he sleeps putting hung into it in consequence of which he sleepeth so soundly that he knoweth not what happened or whither she goeth nor what she doeth for after she hath given him the wine to drink she dresseth herself and goeth out from him and is absent until daybreak when she returneth to him and burneth a perfume under his nose upon which he awaketh from his sleep 
When I heard this conversation of the maids, the light became darkness before my face, and I was hardly conscious of the approach of night when my cousin returned from the bath. The table was prepared, and we ate and sat a while drinking our wine as usual. I then called for the wine which I was accustomed to drink before I lay down to sleep, and she handed to me the cup. But I turned away, and pretending to drink it as I was wont to do, poured it into my bosom, and immediately lay down, upon which she said, Sleep on, I wish that thou wouldest never awake again. By Allah I abhor thee, and abhor thy person, and my soul is weary of thy company. She then arose, and attired herself in the most magnificent of her apparel and having perfumed herself and slung on a sword opened the door of the palace and went out i got up immediately and followed her until she had quitted the palace and passed through the streets of the city and arrived at the city gates when she pronounced some words that i understood not whereupon the locks fell off and the gates opened and she went out I still following her without her knowledge. Hence she proceeded to a space among the mounds, and arrived at a strong edifice in which was a coupe, constructed of mud with a door, which she entered. I then climbed upon the roof of the coupe, and looking down upon her through an aperture, saw that she was visiting a black slave whose lips, one of which overlapped the other, gathered up the sand from the pebbly floor, while he lay in a filthy and wet condition upon a few stalks of sugar-cane. He was leprous and covered in rags and tatters. She kissed the ground before the slave, and he raised his head towards her and said, Woe to thee! Wherefore hast thou remained away until this hour? The other blacks have been here drinking wine, and each of them has gone away with his mistress, and I refuse to drink on thy account. She answered, O my master and beloved of my heart, knowest thou not that I am married to my cousin, and that I abhor every man who resembles him, and hate myself while I am in his company? If I do not fear to displease thee, I would not let the sun rise before the city had been left desolate, echoing to the screeches of owls and the crying of crows, the haunt of foxes and wolves, and I would move its stones to behind Balkhaf. Thou liest, thou infamous woman, replied the slave, and I swear by the generosity of the slaves, and if I speak no truth, may our valor be as the valor of the whites, that if thou loiter as thou hast done till this hour, I will no longer give thee my company, nor approach thy person, thou faithless one. Dost thou inconvenience me for the sake of thine own pleasure, thou filthy wretch, and vilest of the whites? When I heard, continued the sultan, their words, and witnessed what passed between them, the world became dark before my face, and I knew not where I was. My cousin still stood weeping and abasing herself before him, and said, O my beloved and treasure of my heart, 
Here remaineth to me none but thee, for whom I care, and if thou cast me off, alas for me. O my beloved, O light of mine eye, does she continue to weep and to humble herself before him until he became pacified towards her, upon which she rejoiced and arose, and having disrobed herself, and said to him, O my master, hast thou here anything that thy maid may eat? He answered, Uncover the dough pan. It contains some cooked rat bones. Eat of them, and pick them, and take this earthen pot. Thou wilt find in it some booza to drink. So she arose, and ate, and drank, and washed her hands, after which she lay down by the side of the slave, upon the stalks of sugar-cane, and covered herself with his tattered clothes and rags. When I saw her do this, I became unconscious of my existence, and descending from the roof of the kube, entered, and took the sword from the side of my cousin, with the intention of killing them both. I struck the slave upon his neck, and thought that he was killed. Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Night 8 Then, when it was the eighth night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shanshah, that the young man said, I struck the slave with the intention of cutting his head, but I had failed to sever his jugular and only cut the gullet and skin and flesh. And when I thought that I had killed him, he uttered a loud snore upon which my cousin started up. And as soon as I had gone, took the sword and returned it to its scabbard and came back to the city and to the palace and lay down again in my bed in which i remained until the morning welcome to the vocabulary section for episode four. First, let us start with the terms used in this episode omeme is a name for a girl meaning 300 camels atike is a name for a girl meaning pure and generous. Kohol or Kajal, a black powder usually antimony sulfate or lead sulfate used as eye makeup especially in eastern countries. Kufye, known as a hutra, a traditional headdress worn by men, fashioned from a square scarf and usually made of cotton. Indian cane, fast-growing species form of a sugar cane with hybrid origins of wild cane species. Tribe of Ad, a prosperous group living after the time of Noah, built great buildings and identified by tradition as a place in the south of Arabia. Iram, the city of pillars, is associated with them and the prophet Hud was sent in order to guide its people back to the righteous path of Allah. Bhang, the leaves and flower heads of cannabis and used as a narcotic. Kubbe, a building with a dome. Mount Kaf, a legendary mountain in Islamic lore said to be the homeland of the jinn, was made out of shining emeralds and a place beyond which the unseen divine world begins. Buza is barley beer. Gullet, 
the passage by which food passes from the mouth to the stomach, also known as the esophagus. Vocabulary. Ought. Anything at all. Very. Cause to become tired or grow bored with or tired of. Hither. To or towards this place or situated on this side. Respite. A short period of rest or relief from something difficult or unpleasant. Enumerated. Mentioned a number of things one by one. Propiate. Win or regain the favor of Allah, a spirit, or a person by doing something that pleases them. Reproach. Address someone in such a way as to express disapproval or disappointment, censure or rebuke. Clove. Split or sever something, especially along natural lines or grains. Asunder. Apart or divided into pieces. Zephyr. A soft, gentle breeze. Perdition. A state of eternal punishment and damnation into which a sinful and unrepentant person passes after death. Profiliate. Recklessly extravagant or wasteful in the use of resources, licentious and dissolute. Rejoined. Join together or reunite. Contriveth. Deliberately created rather than arising naturally or spontaneously. Create or bring about by deliberate use of skill and artifice. Abhor. Regard with disgust and hatred. Abrasing. Behaving in a way that belittles or degrades someone. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.